0: This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 186 with guest Sasha
1: Tazi. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery.
2: Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with
0: a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. All right. All right. All right. Happy day, everyone. Welcome to another recovery episode. This is our third recovery episode in this particular series. If you didn't know, there is an additional 10 episodes, 10 recovery episodes from last year. I figured I might want to mention that for some of you who are new to the podcast or found out about this recovery section of my regular podcast. I did a whole 10 episodes last year. That link is in the show notes. You know what I was thinking, too? I mention the show notes, like, you know, capital T, capital S, capital N. Like it's this thing that everybody knows how to get there. I feel like sometimes it's not that straightforward in whatever app you're using to listen to your podcasts. Maybe many of you are like, of course I know how to get to it, but there might be some of you who have trouble. That would be me. So if you also go to yourkickasslife.com slash and then the number of the podcast episode that's always where the show notes will be so this one is yourkickasslife.com slash 186 All of the links are there for anything that I'm talking about here and that Sasha and I will be talking about, and this goes for any podcast episode that I do. This particular episode will have a lot of links because I got a lot of things to tell you. Before we get into the conversation I have with Sasha, I wanted to let you know that we are still in the pre-order phase of this book party, my new book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness, which, by the way, I was talking to now I totally forget who it was (laughs) about recovery and she read the book and she was like, this is a book about recovery. And I'm like, I guess it is a book about recovery. It really is. So those of you who are new in your recovery or even if you're not in recovery, this book is for you. I would love for you to do two things. Please, please, please pre-order the book. I've gone on and on about how important pre-orders are for any author, myself included. Those numbers really are important to us. I'll talk about that at a later date. I actually have a podcast episode coming out in February where I'm going to talk about how I went down the rabbit hole of not feeling good enough because of something. Again, I'll talk about that more in an episode in a few weeks. So first thing I would love for you to do is please pre-order the book. Second thing is to sign up for my free book club. I'm offering a free group study for anyone that orders the book either now or in the beginning of January Again, those links are in the show notes, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you it's at yourkickasslife.com slash H-T-S-F-L-S, which is the acronym for the book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit. Also, I'm probably coming to a city near you. So again, in those show notes for all of the links, come and see me so we can squeal or I will squeal and I can sign your book and answer your questions and take lots of pictures. And also there are a few spots left. I'm doing two workshops, one in New York City and one in Chicago. I'm keeping these really small and intimate, three hours of workshopping with me and other awesome women. And also last thing, Some of you have asked me along the way, and this is over the last, I've been podcasting now for, I don't know, I think I started in 2013 or 2014. It was when I was writing my first book. And I was back then, it was like kind of haphazardly, like I'll put, I think I put out an episode every other week for a while. And then, you know, kind of gain traction. We have over a million downloads. I know that most podcasters, it's like, that's a big celebration and they do this big party and everything. And oh my gosh, I didn't do that. (laughs) We hit a million downloads in October. (laughs) Oh man. I know I should probably be better at that, but I just... I was dealing with other things, but a lot of you along the way have asked me, you know, your podcast has helped me so much. Can I donate to the podcast? Can I somehow pay you back for all of the help that you have done for me? And I've always said no, and I've never set that up. Some podcasters do Patreon or something. I don't even know what that is. And I've always said no, but what you can do is buy the book and it would be even more awesome if you shared it with your friends. It's $11 and 59 cents on Amazon. And people have also been asking me if it matters what link they use to buy it. If they go to, you know, target.com or amazon.com, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And also want to say one more thing, Australia. I know I have a lot of Australian listeners, black ink publishing is publishing my book. So you don't have to come all the way over here to buy it. (laughs) I bet you would do that. But there's a link in the show notes that directly sends you to that Australian publisher so you can order it over there. Again, lots of links in the show notes. Thank you so much for supporting your kick-ass life and supporting me along this journey. I cannot wait to share this book with you. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you to read it. I put my heart and soul into it. This is Definitely a step up from my first book, and this really came from just listening to the universe and listening to you all about what you needed and really paying attention to your stories and your feelings and what tools and strategies you needed to live your biggest life, to live your kick-ass life. So again, can't wait for you to read it. That being said, let me tell you a little bit about Sasha before we jump in. (laughs) Sasha is a writer, life and recovery coach, speaker, and woman who believes in hope, healing, and daily miracles. She loves the ocean, namaste, sober, and the lion is her spirit animal. Without further ado, here is Sasha. Hi, Sasha. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad to have this conversation because I know that With your story, it's sort of, it's not just about alcohol. There's like several different addictions and and things that you have struggled with in the past. And so I'm, I'm really pumped to jump in and get started. So why don't we start there? So can you give us a little background of your story? When did you quit drinking and you know was it I think I'm really curious about cuz you said that you struggled with food and love and relationships and so was it like did you quit everything all at once
1: <laughs> or oh, no, was it like one no, thing no. at a time
0: what was sort yeah. of the timeline of everything
1: Yeah that's a great question and so basically I did not quit everything at once that would have been so excruciatingly hard So I quit drinking alcohol and using drugs 6 years ago this month. I just celebrated last weekend, September 2nd. And at that time it was since 2011. And I was really just quitting to primarily by default. I just, I wanted to get out of the pain I was causing myself. And I was really, I had a lot of shame about what I was doing because I was the kind of drinker that – I was a binge drinker, all or nothing, and I totally blacked out every – almost every time I drank. So I was causing a lot of – I was very reckless and causing a lot of pain to myself and to other people, just kind of – I would have personality changes and just drinking and driving and sleeping around and really – I mean – getting myself into so much, so many precarious situations that I'm shocked that I made it. Mm-hmm. So when I quit, I needed to change something and I decided to try that. And I wasn't planning on staying quit. Like I was just like, this is, I'm going to try this. This is an experiment. I'm just going to like detox, mm-hmm. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. detox for a couple of months, three months after I quit drinking, I quit smoking cigarettes. I was a big smoker, which was very incongruent with my image. I was sort of this good girl. And I was into exercise, but I was like smoking a pack a day. Mm-hmm. And so I quit. That was a big quit because I relied on cigarettes for everything. It was sort of like my security blanket. So I quit that in December of 2011 and got rid of that crutch or something. I heard Brad Pitt, because he's recently sober, I heard him call these things pacifiers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's kind of funny when you think of that, like a child has a passy. I quit those in December, and then, you know, as time went on, more things would come to my attention. So, like, I think of denial as this process that is, very protective. Like we, we use denial for it's useful until it isn't. And so things would come to my attention that I wasn't, I hadn't been ready to see prior to that. And it was sort of like one by one that they would come. So like, what, can you give us an
0: example of things that were coming into your attention?
1: So I'm saying the other addictions and things, the food, the body image, the men and codependency, those were all issues that came sort of after I was sober enough to deal with it or look at it, you know, because the drinking was hiding the other underlying issues for me. Mm -hmm. And my underlying issues were like, so the drinking and the cigarettes and the acting out all of that. I then had this food, like sort of, I mean, an eating disorder, essentially, where I was stuck in a cycle of like binging and restricting, binging and restricting. And along with that, I had this co- codependency as well, that usually would, I mean, codependency. So just for clarification, just really being sort of obsessed with other people. But this especially showed up with men mm-hmm. and my love relationships. So That was coming to the surface for me as the longer I stayed sober and these other issues. It was like, I've heard it been called whack-a-mole, where like, (laughs) get rid of one thing and then something else comes up you get rid of that and something else comes up. And it's like, oh my God, is this ever going to (laughs) end? And so that's sort of what happened. I just, you know, in retrospect, I, as it was happening, I felt like, so damaged. Like, why do I have all of these problems type of thing? Yeah. Why am I so broken? Right. And, and just sort of like, I can't handle anything else. Like I don't want to look anymore. But in retrospect, obviously I am so glad that I did because every time that I really addressed what was in my space to address, I got more freedom and Mm -hmm. more like just a greater sense of well-being from doing that.
0: Let me stop you for a second. So it sounds like you you realized that your drinking was out of control and hurting you and others and then you decided to do the experiment to quit for a couple months. So is it that when you kind of got some clarity and then realized that you had a problem with food and love and relationships and
1: codependence? Like roughly, yeah. not like, you yeah. know, perfectly. <laughs> roughly, yeah, roughly. I mean, th- those things have been problems before, Sure. But I wasn't like equipped or ready or willing to really deal with it.
0: Well, the reason I ask is that's, that's interesting because I think that that's common for a lot of people. Mine was actually the opposite. So I, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the recovery series or anywhere. I had been in therapy for a long time before and, you know, and worked on like the regular things that people work on in therapy, family stuff and and anxiety and things like that. And then my therapist had mentioned codependency, but I think I was still kind of like in denial. I was like, no, 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 no. This is my ex. You know, I was married to someone else before and I was like, this is all his problem. Like he needs to fix himself and then he and I will be better. So that relationship ended and then I was in another terrible relationship. And that particular person I was with went to rehab and I went for like family week. <laughs> it's so serendipitous. And we're, <laughs> we're having like these group therapy things. and It was for him, right? But then I'm like, and then he's like talking about all this stuff that he's realizing about himself. And then I was like, holy shit, I'm a love addict. And and I need to admit that I'm a codependent because from what I understand, like all love addicts are codependents, not all Mm -hmm. codependents are love addicts, but all love addicts are, are codependents. So I started working on that pretty diligently and also my eating disorder all at the same time. But it wasn't until, let's see, 2007, four years later that I got sober because, yeah, it was like that stuff that allowed me to like have the self-awareness like of all the kind of triggers and and just stuff that comes up. And too, for me, I don't know if the, if it was this way for you when I quit all that other stuff, the, the love addiction, the codependence, the eating disorder, my drinking picked up speed. It almost like it mm-hmm. took its place. It's like, OK, so if I can't do that, have all those behaviors, then I'm just going to drink more. <laughs> Bills and other things to pay for don't just come bi-weekly and neither should your paycheck. The money you earn can be in your hands today with EARNIN. EARNIN is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the EARNIN app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for unexpected doctor visits, vet bills, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, "When I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind." Download Earnin today, spelled E A R N I N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It's really helpful to the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnincom slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. What if in 2024 you got a little bit better every day? i mean that's what this show is all about right when you're learning a new language with babel that's exactly what you're doing and if babel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks imagine what you can do in a full year be a better you in 2024 with babel the science-backed language learning app that actually works babel has over 16 million subscribers sold plus all of babel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Their courses are so convenient and have helped me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's so easy to learn how to order food. That's where I get the most excited to use it at Mexican restaurants or ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation, etc. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash noise. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash noise, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash noise. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: Yeah, that's so fascinating to me because, I mean, it was sort of opposite for me, but the drinking drove a lot of those behaviors to be amplified for sure. me. Like my drug use, like I was really into uppers. I, I always, drinking sort of made me, gave me this euphoric feeling and sort of made me hypersexual. So it, so it like enabled me to act in the ways that like, I don't think I could have done it the other way around. Like you did it. And I think that's amazing that everybody can have such a different story, but we end up in more or less the same place. It's the same (laughs)
0: path. It just looks different and people are on different places of it. I feel like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm really also interested in what your love addiction looked like, because that isn't something we're going to have another guest on here and talk about it. But I don't think it gets talked about a lot. And I do have listeners who, when I mention it on my podcast, who write to me and they're like, Oh my God, I think I'm a love addict. So can you talk about what that looked like in your life? Whether you identify as a love addict or not, I'm just using that as a, as a reference point. What did that addiction look like for you?
1: Oh, sure. I'm yeah, I definitely identify as a love addict and I see the overlap with the codependency. And I like what you said about Not all codependents are love addicts, but all love addicts are codependents. So I've had a really complicated sort of original situation with relating to men, as most of us do. I have the daddy issues. And so I was used to, I came from a place of making men. This is what I consider to be like the picture of my love addiction, making men especially the ones I was into my higher power and my mm-hmm. putting them on a pedestal. And if they were higher then I was lower. And so we weren't equal and everything. It was all about them. Right. It was all about them. And I would do anything for male attention mm-hmm. and male affection. And I would, I was obsessed with it. And, and it was almost, it was a compulsion and I remember drinking, you know, using drinking almost as an excuse to act like that. And when I would be drunk, I would be like I never had fun in the sense that I could like go out with my girlfriends and just hang out with them. Mm-hmm. It was always about a guy and and trying to get some guy's attention and trying
2: to, uh, kind of hookup.
1: Yeah. Some kind of, yeah. Like that was my, it was like, I went in with a goal and if I didn't, (laughs) if I didn't make that goal happen, you know, I was upset and Mm -hmm. depressed. Mm -hmm. And so I got into a relationship when, before I got sober, I had, I met a guy, we were both, you know, had addictive tendencies and we both kind of became addicted to each other. And I would say, (laughs) yeah, it it was, I would say we were, we were both love addicts and it was a highly codependent relationship where we were like attached at the hip and could not, you know, just totally obsessed with each other, but you know, not in the good way or if there is a good way, I'm Mm -hmm. not sure, but you know, and so that was eye opening to me. I didn't know love to be something other than being really attached to someone. I didn't know that like when you love someone, you're supposed to feel free and free to be who you are. And, you know, like they're free to be who they are. And it, it's sort of this whole Al-Anon, this Al-Anon idea of like live and let live. Uh-huh. And I just I didn't know that. I I was totally the opposite. I was like if you love someone, you smother them. Your life revolves around <laughs> that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what and, love is. <laughs> right. it's, it's total enmeshment. It's, yes. it's their problems are your problems and there's no boundaries and there's no, you know, there's no like separation of like how I felt and how he felt. It was just, it was my, my mood and my feelings were dependent on him.
0: Mm-hmm. There's no autonomy.
1: No autonomy. No autonomy. Exactly. That's more or less what it looks like in a relationship. And even when I was in a relationship, it was always about finding that. And I can easily transfer that onto other people that aren't men Uh and not romantic relationships, which is why I consider myself codependent as well as just a basic love addict that because it's kind of like it can apply to... I try not to pedestal anyone any like friends, coworkers, clients, even people that are doing really awesome stuff that I like somewhat idolize. I still try not to make them out to be like not human. Right. That's Yeah,
0: that's interesting. And mine looked a lot like that as well. And it's what's really, I think, just kind of mind blowing is that it is sort of like that like fish being in water and they don't realize like what they're actually in. And, and I'm the same. And what's also kind of, you know, in retrospect for me, when I look back and a lot of times people fall into addictions because that's what was modeled for them from their family of origin. That was not the case with me. My parents, from what I witnessed and sensed, had a a healthy married relationship. And they did end up getting divorced when I, right when I graduated high school, which kind of pulled the rug out from under me and was its own set of problems because it was never addressed or talked about. But I, I mean, my love addiction and codependency started when I was in high school. I just, I didn't, it was almost as if that, you know, cause everybody remembers like teenage love. Remember that? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're like 15, 16 and you're just like obsessed with that person. And, mm-hmm. and I think for most people that sort of wears off and you become more of an adult and you become healthier in your boundaries and things like that. So for me, that never wore off. Like, me I, <laughs> yeah, I just was like that all the time. And just thought yeah. that that's, that's what love meant. And yeah, no, I'm with you. It was, it was, I put for me, I don't know if, if you were this way too, but as I was in a relationship from the time I was 17 until I was 31 and, and he and I were Oh God, I'll write a memoir about it. I've I've talked about it on the podcast. It was a tumultuous, unhealthy roller coaster of a relationship that went on for a long time, but we, and we both cheated on each other. And I cheated because for several reasons, one of them being was that I was a straight up and down love addict. And I, like you, like I would go out with my girlfriends and it was consciously, I thought it was because I was getting back at him because I knew he was doing it to me and I needed to, you know, like I deserved this and, but unconsciously it was because I, for me, it was a cycle. I couldn't tolerate who I was as a person and the place I was in, in my relationship with him. So I would go out and try to get validation and attention and quote unquote, love from other men. And then I would get it and then feel good for like an hour or two. And then the next morning feel like such shit about myself and then the whole cycle would start over so it's similar with drinking you know it's like that whole let me just numb this out and feel good for like a couple of hours so i don't have to think about all the other shit in my life that's consuming me and then that buzz wears off and it's almost as like you you for me it was like i hit the ground face down and was like oh my god what have i done and then trying to justify the behavior (laughs) Mm -hmm. the whole thing would start over again and, you know, and then I would feel so guilty for doing it. So I would try harder to be a better girlfriend in my relationship. So I would tolerate shit that he would do to me. And it was just like, when I look back at it and I'm like, wow, that was a disaster. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know, like I didn't know any different. And I just, I, I just thought if I kept trying harder, then it's got to get
1: better. Like, you know, like it's just, oh I, yeah, it's I, that I self that will that, and that's, What I felt like with drinking, the exact same. If I just tried harder to control myself, then I could. So I just need to try harder. And that's like, it's so funny because it it pops up everywhere. If that's the belief that you have, I just need to try harder. I just need to will myself. I just need to get him to do this, you know? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it just, it's this cycle that... (sighs) again, it's that denial piece too. It's like when you're in that cycle and coupled with denial, it's just, it will keep going and keep going and keep going. And it wasn't until I, again, like I went to that rehab center and bought Pia Melody's book called Facing Love Addiction. And I started reading it and I was like, this is like
1: my biography. (laughs) That's so weird. Oh my God, Andrea, I just was going to mention that book, that book. Exactly. Because it's funny. I wanted to mention something, especially for People listening, that I was not a typical love addict in that I was in—I was constantly in a relationship or constantly having sex. I have actually been single and celibate since I got sober. And so, some people would, you know, Melody in her book, Facing Love Addiction, talks about the love addict and the love avoidant, Mm -hmm. and how they're kind of their opposite ends of the same spectrum. Right. So. You know, people have called it love anorexic or whatever. And I think that in the beginning, that's what it was for me. And my challenge is that it can still be just as detrimental mentally if I'm not checking myself and because I can be in that obsessive place in my mind and Mm -hmm. literally be living in a fantasy world thinking about some guy And not necessarily acting on it, but it's still causing me a lot of grief if I'm in that place in my head and just kind of, you know, living under illusion, really. Yeah, it's interesting
0: because it's sort of similar with similar, but different with food and that, you know, with drinking, we can, we can be completely abstinent from drinking and live our lives and be in recovery. And we don't need alcohol to live, okay. but the opposite is true for food and for relationships. You know, we still have to be in relationships and stuff to eat too. But for me, it was, I really started my recovery in that with what I did is I I think this is similar to what you were saying is that when I really started to recover from my, from my love addiction, I was already in a relationship with my current husband. We weren't married yet, but I was unwilling to walk away from it. But I was like, okay, so here's how I'm going to do it. I am going to boundary up <laughs> <laughs> like nobody's business and, you know, ward off any situations that could put me in temptation for flirting or, you know, cause that's what I was used to. Like, that's how a lot of times where I would get my high from is just these dangerous, risky flirting situations with other men. And so I, I, you know, I, I just got all of that out of my life and was, and thought that I was, you know, on the right track, but then it was a couple of years in, really, probably like around the time I got sober was when I realized I had boundaryed up so much in my relationship that we weren't making any motion. Like he couldn't, I wasn't letting him love me is basically what was mm-hmm. happening is because I had swung the pendulum so far the other way. And so that's been interesting and it's been a slow progression, just learning what healthy love is and you know, like reading about it and going to therapy and couples counseling and just and slowly learning to trust and trust myself. I think that's been a huge thing. Both are equally as scary for me personally, trusting other people with my heart and trusting myself that I can make a right decision and and all of these things. So I'm not sure if it was like that for you. I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, And immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a long time partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash noise. That's drinkag1.com slash noise. Check it out. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need <laughs> Shopify for retail. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com noise to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash noise.
1: Oh, totally. I, I mean, trusting yourself is the biggest thing and learning how to receive Mm -hmm. and that takes time. Yeah, That's not like, Oh, I want to receive. So I'm going to receive now. Like it's a whole (laughs) process of like uncovering and recovering and just takes time. And in the beginning, I was the same. I was, I swung to the other side of the pendulum and I was just like, no boys ever again. (laughs) I'm Mm going to be a nun. Like I can't, you know, I couldn't, it was black and white like that. And I, it had to be that way until I started to learn, well, I'm still single, but it's not because I'm, out there. And I'm like trying to date and it's not by choice, let's say. So it takes time to get moved towards the middle path and the middle way and the balanced way.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's, let's talk about solution and recovery. And what are some of your, you know, what is your favorite sobriety tool that you recommend to your own clients and that you use?
1: I think the top tool, because we've heard that sobriety, I mean, The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. And I think all of these addictions that we are talking about today, food, love, alcohol, sex, people, it's, they're very isolating addictions to have. They're very shaming. So I would say that the top tool is to be in connection with another person or a group of persons, some kind of community where you feel like you belong and you're accepted as you are. Mm -hmm. And I like whether that be with me as a coach or in a sober tribe online or in person or AA or another recovery support group, or a yoga tribe, I feel like it's really important to just find a way to bond with other human beings, because that really takes it really takes you out of the isolation and it and it starts your path to healing.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of those things where I think I didn't realize it until I got into recovery that I realized pretty quickly that there's a difference between sobriety and recovery because anybody can get sober. Staying sober, I felt like, was the hard part. And it's not just about quitting drinking. Like, it really—and I think, like, almost every guest I've had on the Recovery Series has validated this, that the real work isn't the not drinking. And the real work is all the emotional— stuff and that's like you were saying it's the connecting with other people and bonding in a healthy way learning what that looks like emotional boundaries i think <laughs> were huge huge for me and noticing other people when they were stepping over emotional boundaries with me and then having to have those hard conversations or walk away from relationships. Like, and that's just like, I don't mean to scare people, but like, that's just
1: a little bit
0: of, of what all I felt like entailed the recovery process.
1: Yeah. Well, it's life. It's Mm -hmm. life and it's adulting, adulting, (laughs) and it, which is hard. And, you know, we, it's the stuff underneath why we drink. It's not the drinking. It's never all of this stuff. You know, drinking is the surface problem. It's right. the symptom, and so everything that we need to really look at to recover and to live and to heal is is this, the reasons why we did that mm-hmm. underneath. And things like emotional sobriety, like you said, emotional boundaries, like all of that stuff. We obviously don't really know how to do if we're, we were lost in addiction.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I often ask the question, what is the problem that you're trying to solve through drinking or relationships or and I, I think that for most people, their knee jerk reaction, a lot of times they'll say like stress and overwhelm. And and I invite people to to dig deeper in that because everybody experiences stress and overwhelm. It's kind of just like the blanket response. But I want to know, you know, what's underneath that. Be specific and just like keep asking yourself more like what else, what else, what else to go further and further, kind of like seven layers deep and you'll find it. I think for most people, it's at the end of the day, a lot of times the root of it is shame and fear and that crippling loneliness, feeling that you are not like the others, you know, that when people find out that you really are scared or flawed or quote unquote broken, then they won't love you anymore. Like these are the real deep fears that all of us have to some extent and how you deal with it is really the solution. So, you know, I can't speak for you, but for me now, you know, it's like, I still have those feelings every once in a while, not as, not as crippling as I used to, but I used to, the solution to that for me used to be drinking or you know, rolling around the sheets in man's bed or, Mm -hmm. you know, doing something to not have to think about that or try to get love and validation or just numbing from those other things. But now it's about talking about those things and admitting it out loud to another trusted human being and a lot, a lot, a lot of self-compassion.
1: Oh yeah. I feel the same with you there. And it always comes back to that self-compassion piece and, because I, I used it to self medicate too, like not. I have all that, the shame and all those different feelings that were driving my urge mm-hmm. to act out in whatever way I felt like it. I felt, but I talked about one time recently this year where I was so sad and I have, you know, mental illness is part of my story. And so. I had an urge to drink just because I didn't feel like feeling so sad. And I knew that if that I knew that it wasn't smart and I knew all of those things, but I knew that that would take me out of that feeling just Mm -hmm. You know, it would be an instant fix for the moment. It would cause much more problems later on. But But you're not really uh, thinking about that that, to push that out of your head. Exactly. (laughs) You just want instant relief. And I think that's why, you know, thinking back, I used alcohol a lot because of social anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like I just had tons of it and, and I couldn't talk to guys unless I was drunk. And so this love addiction thing that I have, like, is really interesting because it doesn't exist in physical form unless I was drinking. Like, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go up and talk to a guy, wouldn't have sex with a guy, wouldn't do anything unless I was under the influence. So so it's really interesting. There are so many layers. And I love what you said about seven layers deep and really like being petulant to get to the root of. Someone's reasons, like, okay, but why? Okay, but what are you, what is underneath that? And what is underneath that? And I, I don't know. I love this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's nice to talk about
0: the stuff that. I'm, I'm a big fan. I've always like called myself, like, you know, I'm the person that talks about this stuff. I've always been the person that wanted to talk about the stuff that nobody was talking about, but it didn't happen in my family. So I feel like now I'm making up for lost time, but it's interesting what you're saying about your symptom of love addiction and mine wasn't like that. Mine, I would participate in those symptoms drunk, sober, or otherwise, like it didn't matter. And I think my personality is a little bit different. I'm, I've always been mostly an extrovert. But it just, it was, my behaviors were riskier when I was drinking. I'd be more likely to, you know, go home with someone I just met, more likely to not use protection, those types of behaviors when I was drinking. But if I was sober, it was, it was the same. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's just a little more awkward, maybe (laughs) (laughs) less sweaty, you know, like, (laughs) But yeah, still, I still did it. I remember one time there was... Because I was like, "Yo, this is just... And I think it's good to tell these stories, to just to... Because I, there are some of them where I am so appalled at my behavior. I have some drinking stories that I have not said on the air just because they're pretty bad. But this one <laughs> involves a guy. And he... This is probably my most embarrassing and just, God, just a shameful story. So he was somebody who... I always, I typically would have, whoever my best friend, my best friend Shelby at the time, she was my best friend for like 20 years. She... Would she had different various boyfriends throughout the time we were friends for a long time, and I would always hook up with her boyfriend's friends, and it was kind of like a built-in like <laughs> our friendship. Hey. God, and there was this one guy who was a friend of her boyfriend at the time, and he was actually dating a girl I went to high school with. So she and I weren't we had lost touch because it was years after high school, but I knew her, and we were we were on the cheerleading team together, and I I liked her, and I knew that they had been dating for a few years. You would think that I would care, you know, that I would be like, he's kind of off limits because it's, you know, this girl's boyfriend. And I didn't, like, I didn't care. And that was always kind of a rule of mine. Cause you know how we make up these rules in drinking? Like, well, I'm not going to drink on weekdays. I'm not going to drink hard alcohol. I had those rules with that too. You know, it was like I would never go after somebody who was married or in a relationship. And I sure as shit would not go after somebody in a relationship with someone I knew. So there I was. <laughs> you know, with this opportunity and we were in his car hooking up and I wanted to have sex and he didn't want to, like, he was drawing the line there. Cause like, you know, he, here he is cheating on his girlfriend, a girl, girl that I knew and he was holding steadfast and he was like, no, you know, and it was, and I remember I finally like climbed off of him in the car, grabbed my shoes and got out of the car and slammed the door. I was so pissed off and it really wasn't about the sex. It was the fact that he had said no to me and I was embarrassed and I was ashamed of, you know, it's like I was being, I was being rejected. I was literally being rejected and that had never happened to me before. And I'm like, how dare you? How dare you say no to me? And I remember walking away from that. I will never forget that parking lot of that apartment complex. Like I remember just feeling, and it really, I know at that moment it went beyond I knew I was less mad at him for saying no and more mad at myself for even being in that situation for Mm -hmm. betraying my own relationship or betraying myself or betraying this girl that I genuinely liked as a person, you know, it was her boyfriend and they'd been together for years. Of course, he, you know, was a choice to hook up with me or not. But still, like, I just I felt like such a piece of shit human being in that moment. And if I blamed it on him, like he's the one who made me feel bad, but really I was the one that was making me feel bad. So it's like, I, I remember all of these sort of holes that started to happen in my life and where it like started leaking, you know what I mean? And then, and then came and, and then it was years later, honestly, Sasha, it was years later where the, the whole damn broke where I finally was like, this can't continue anymore. And this is pretty, this is pretty bad. But I think a lot of us have those like small moments where the holes are being, where the holes are happening, whether it's drinking or whether it's another addiction.
1: Oh, for sure. First of all, I have so many stories like that, where the self-loathing was That's so what it was. strong yeah. in mm-hmm. me that I could just, but And I maybe I didn't stop right away, you know, but all of those experiences added up. And I've learned now today as much as, you know, sometimes I, you know, I don't think about it all the time at all. But when I, you know, times like today where we're going back to the past and remembering things, there's still that feeling of like, oh, but then there's also for me that feeling of like, I Compassion because mm-hmm. you know, you were just trying to get your needs met, and I was too, and we didn't know another way at the time,
0: yeah. Yeah, it, that's true. And I do. And I've actually written letters, you know, speaking of the, of the solution, I've written letters to myself. I thought about actually reaching out to that girl. She and her friends on Facebook and mm-hmm. they're not together. They did not end up getting married. She married somebody else and has two kids. And, but I just don't think it, I just don't think it would be helpful for her to know that she might know, but I don't, I think it would just not be a good idea. But I've written a letter to myself saying that I'm sorry for everything and for you know just like you were saying just having compassion for that person because i was doing the best that i could and it was not great but i didn't have any other tools and that's you know where we where we are today so we've mentioned the, you mentioned the one tool about connection, and then self compassion, and then another add-on to that for anyone that's that feels like doing it is is write a letter to yourself. Write a letter, mm-hmm. even you know I could even write a letter to that girl and never send it, just a letter of apology about it and and things like that. So, what are like some non-negotiables in your sobriety toolkit today?
1: First of all, I would totally recommend writing a letter and not sending it just to get it out of, I do that and I've done that and it's like a form of journaling, right? But just to get it out of my head. Mm -hmm. And I also do, I have a little God box where I put stuff in there where, that I don't want to keep. And because one of the things that kept me really sick was that I never expressed myself like I never said how I really felt. This isn't the case for everyone, of course, but for me, it was like I was so repressed that it was coming out in all these sideways, right? And Mm so so to be able to say how I feel, and even if I don't let that person know directly, but just being honest about it on paper is like extremely cathartic. I've been doing it a lot lately with just relationships where I'm not necessarily in contact with the person, but my other, I would say my top three non-negotiables are really, really simple. I like to keep things simple. And of course I have like a whole toolbox of tools. And depending on the person, you know, you customize the tools that you want and the ones that work for you. But my top three non-negotiables are sleep. And by that, I mean, like getting as close to eight hours as I can every night. And I know that's hard for a lot of people, but for me, it's a non-negotiable and I make sure that I go to bed and I don't stay up late when, Mm -hmm. especially when I don't have to, like when I have choice and I'm you know I don't scroll Instagram and Facebook after like 8:30 at night because there's um, nothing
0: that you're going to miss that's going to change your life like no
1: now. no <laughs> <laughs> it's the joy of missing out not the fear of missing out I and like that. so the second i would say yoga yoga's really helped me heal my physical body and and reclaim my just my connection to my body especially with all the eating disorders and all the sexual shame and all the um, body image distortion that Mm -hmm. I've had, it really has been instrumental. It's like medicine. And then I would say food. And by that, I mean, making sure that I eat three meals a day and, and I have my food like, and I have sort of a meal plan and I'm not on like a diet, but just making sure that I get proper nutrition so that Cause I can get hangry so quickly mm-hmm. that it's not, it's not yeah. funny.
0: <laughs> it say, oh, no. So
1: I make it a priority because I know a lot of, you know, I don't, especially as I'm in this different place in my life where it'd be really easy for me to get addicted to work and busyness and, and accomplishing things and, in that vein, it's really easy to like forget to eat or skip a meal. And I make sure that I well, I know as soon as I do that, because it starts to really impact my mood. And I just like I act like a toddler, honestly. Mm -hmm. So I can't really get away with it. So those are like my top three that are pretty basic and practical.
0: Yeah, I love that. I I totally agree with all of those. And I think it's a great place, not just for all the time, not just a great place to start, but a great place to just like maintain your recovery too, and try to find some kind of balance there that works. I know that's kind of a tricky word, but that I'm so grateful to have you on and thank you so much for this conversation. And just thanks for being on.
1: Thank you so much. The feeling is mutual, and I really enjoyed talking to you. It felt like just talking to a girlfriend and swapping swapping war stories, right? <laughs> war and recovery stories, and and, <laughs> and the triumph,
0: right? Yeah, I know. I'm trying to do that in these episodes. Is not just make it like like let's talk about all the drama because I mean seriously, I could have like 16 series on the stories of things that I did where I'm just like, holy crap. But they're they're interesting to listen to. I know, I know that. But everyone, if you go over to the show notes, the link to Sasha's website is there. If you want to learn more about her, and also the link to the other podcast that we did on Love Addiction is there. And also the link to Pia Melody's book is there as well. I think it's a great resource to get started if you have just heard if this is like the first time you've heard about Love Addiction or heard people talk about what it actually is. And and that's all over there for you in the show notes. And until next time, Ask Kickers, I will see you all out in a cyberspace. Bye-bye. Hey, Ass Kickers, you know it would help me out so much if you left a rating and review for this podcast. Your Kick-Ass Life podcast will always be free to you and to help me get more awesome guests and to spread the word, it helps tremendously if you leave a rating and a review. Now, they don't particularly make this super easy to do, so I'll help you out a little. If you're in iTunes and you're on your phone, when you are in the podcast app, you need to search for Your Kick-Ass Life. Life podcast. I know, even if you're subscribed, this is how you do it. So when you search for it and you see it come up, click on the cover art, then towards the top where it says reviews, click that, scroll down a tiny little bit, and then click write a review. Stitcher is a bit easier if you're on Android. The easiest way I found to do this is to type into Google stitcher.com your kickass life and voila, my podcast should pop up as the first link, scroll down and click write a review you That's it. Thank you so very much. You have no idea how much it helps me when you do that. All right. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.